day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 30, The Classic Colored Cube. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Cole as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, just good. It's great. <laughs> Remember, we're basic, right? That's what, that's what we yeah. need to be. Uh, uh, inside joke the audience won't get. Exactly. Woo. It's like 30 seconds. We just met, so... Basic, we're just saying yeah. basic ways of living. We are basic, all of us. But uh, in instead of talking about basic humans and basic us, we're going to talk about interesting coal. But before we do that, uh, why, don't you why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Of course. Um, I'm a master's student studying computer science. And uh, in my off time, um, I do a lot of different stuff. But one of the things that I've done for many years now is Rubik's Cubes. The Rubik's Cubes you see... Uh, in stores and a bunch of other stuff. It's been a large part of uh, what I've done before. And um, it's just something that I've really enjoyed. And how did you get introduced to Rubik's Cubes? You didn't find one on the corner of the street one day. You're pro probably somebody gave it to no, you. No, or... I didn't have somebody <laughs> saying, first one's free, here you go. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, it might have been, gosh, it was so long ago. I think it actually was sometime in fall of 20, 2008. I got a Rubik's Cube from the store. I think I was just browsing the toy section. And I saw it and I got it. And my parents had a booklet from like uh, when they were super popular in the 80s um, about solving the cube. So I followed the methods and I scrambled it and then solved it again. And that's when I like first started it. Um, and then when I was getting into Rubik's Cubes, I also got into something called Speed Stacks. And I kind of did both of those for a while. And then I kind of fell out of it for a couple of years, got back into it in high school, fell out of it again, fell back into it in college. And now here I am like 10 years later with a really sizable collection and a pretty good skill set at solving Rubik's Cubes, if I do say so myself. So when you did first see it the first time, were you intrigued by the colors or you already knew what it was based off what your parents told you? I don't think my parents actually ever told me about it directly. Um, I think I just saw it on the shelves and it looked cool. It, I, I kind of knew it from like the cultural zeitgeist of Rubik's Cubes because they were um, in 2008, they were kind of getting a bit of a resurgence. So it was kind of a bit more. I probably just heard about it from there, but I don't remember a whole lot of what I first remember. I just remember uh, messing with the cube and actually getting it from the scrambled state to the solved state and it's like, wow, that's cool. Um, and I just kept doing that over and over again. And I've gotten a lot faster at it over the years. Yeah, I'm, I'm not good at all at all with those, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think I am, but no, I am not. Uh, do you actually still own your first Rubik's Cube? Yes, I do. Um, it is so battered um, because the, the tutorial I watched, um, one of the first ones I did, recommended to put Vaseline um, inside your Rubik's Cube to kind of like help loosen it up and help it turn faster. While that is great in the short term, what happens is it actually, um, the Vaseline eats away at some of the stickers. So it actually causes the stickers to um, fold up a bit and just look, get, make it look a lot rattier than it really is. But I do still have it. It must be like 10 years old at this point, though. So I'm guessing, yeah, I, when I used to play with Rubik's Cubes, I used to play with the ones with the stickers on it. But nowadays they have some that are, the cubes are actually colored, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have stickerless cubes. I think they came into vogue um, in the grand scheme of things. They came in fairly recently, probably like seven, five years ago. I'm not entirely sure, but there are actual cubes where you don't have stickers anymore. The pieces are actually dyed the correct color. Um, and then assembled together. So you can't cheat anymore. Is that what you're saying? Oh, you can definitely cheat. Like 
the, this is something that people have a lot of misconceptions about the Rubik's Cubes um, for many different reasons. But one of the biggest ones is when you're trying to solve a Rubik's Cube, you aren't trying to solve the stickers. You're trying to solve the pieces. Mm. You can move stickers around and everything else like that. But a better way to actually solve the Rubik's Cube or to cheat and solve the Rubik's Cube is to literally pop off, off the cube. You can pop off a corner piece and just disassemble the entire cube into the 20s or into the corner pieces, into the edge pieces, and then you can reassemble it into the solved position without having to take off all the stickers and put them back on. Yeah, stupid me when I was young, I would take off all the stickers and try to perfectly align it in the right spot, but it <laughs> looked like garbage. It looked like if you threw a Rubik's yeah. Cube in a, like a dryer for like a Ooh, week and yeah. it just, <laughs> the stickers were just Man, like coming in off. Like the, in the cubing community, there is like just a huge amount of hate about that joke because if you encounter somebody who has like solved Rubik's Cubes, one of the first things people say, it boils down to like a couple different things. And there's a really funny video about it as well. But like one of the things is, oh, yeah, I just peeled the stickers off. Ah, oh, it just like it's it doesn't cringy. make sense if you because peeling the stickers off is so inefficient way to solve it as well, because you can literally just pop the pieces out and do it. And that way you don't have to worry about reapplying the stickers. It doesn't ruin the puzzle and the, or it doesn't make the puzzle look terrible afterwards and it's just like oh i just wish people would do that one extra thing if they wanted to cheat instead of just the bare minimum just the lazy <laughs> cheaters like me <laughs> yeah but uh, either way uh how big is your actual collection now i believe i have somewhere close to about 80 or so um 85 i think at my apartment right now i actually did take out all my roof cubes and took a picture of them um i can send that to you if you're interested Absolutely. but i think right now i have about I would say 65 cubes um, and other twisty puzzles of sorts. And then like if you add on some of the other weirder stuff, probably close to 70 with me right now. So speaking of which, you have twisty puzzles. What are the other puzzles you have? Rubik's Cube being the biggest one, but what are like the next top three? So you have the Rubik's Cubes and a lot of people in like in the hobby um, call those three by threes because they have uh, three cubes by three cubes. And those are like the base types of puzzles that people kind of modify around. There's um, other cubic puzzles like the two by two, which is just the corners, basically. It has just two by two by two, um, and then four by fours, five by fives, going all the way up to, I believe, 13 by 13 cubes, which are just massive and massively expensive as well. But then you also have different cuboids, which are um, where you have the Rubik's Cube. It's a cube, but there's actually puzzles where they add or remove layers on the vertical side or any of the sides differently. So instead of having a three by three by three, you have three layers by three layers by N layers. So like I have a three by three by five, which looks just like a really funky tall Rubik's cube. And then, so you have some of those more things that kind of get based off and extended, but you have some other twisty puzzles that are just different. Um, so like one of the more popular ones is called the square one. Um, it looks cubic, but it has nothing like a regular Rubik's Cube. Instead, what you do is you turn it, and as you turn it, it's based off... Gosh, it's really hard to describe visual puzzles in an audio medium. This, <laughs> The square one, effectively what it is, is, is a square with a line kind of offset. So when you turn it, it makes it look into kind of like this tier, or kind of like into a heart shape, I guess. So you turn it, and you can modify it and some other stuff. But all it does is it basically... It allows you to shapeshift and have different rules. And Rubik's Cubes kind of got me into this whole twisty puzzle thing of just different types of puzzles and different types of 
uh, spatial puzzles, basically. And there's a huge category of it. It, it is a wide berth, but I, I would say probably like bigger cubes and then cuboids would probably be the top ones. And then shapeshift mods are also ones where they act like a three by three, except each piece is shaped differently. So you have like a corner piece and an edge piece, and they're both shaped like a cube. But you can actually have it where you, for instance, make the entire puzzle and turn it into a ball so that the corners are just like small little triangles and the edges are like um, curved little edges and everything fits together as a ball. Those are a very popular shape mod. And then those would probably be the biggest category along with cuboids and other cubic puzzles that I know of, at least. So how many of these puzzles have you solved? Like you have them in your collections, but did you already solve mm -hmm. them all? I have solved every single puzzle in my collection. That is not to say, though, uh, that I know how to solve them all right now. <laughs> I have forgotten the solution for many of them. So in other words, it's not a, like a, uh, a one solution fits all. Like for, let's say, the 3x3, three three, the classic 3x3, three mm -hmm. three, if you know how to solve it, you could solve it at any time. It's just a matter of time and speed. Mm -hmm. But I'm guessing a 4x4 four yeah. four has a different type of structure, a pattern, mm -hmm. or is it regularly the same? Yeah, so there's actually, like, for different types of puzzles, you have different types of solutions. But for um, stuff like, if you know how to solve one cuboid, you know how to solve all the cuboids. If you know how to solve a 4x4 four four and a 5x5, five five, you know how to solve a 6x6 six six and a 7x7 seven seven and any other higher order cube. It just takes longer to do it. There's some uh, solutions which um, can be modified for other stuff, but, like, if you know how to solve a 3x3, three three, you can always solve a 2x2. Two because it's literally just acting as if the edges aren't there. And then there's also like for some of the other more exotic twisty puzzles, there's less intuitive solutions. But how you can kind of go about it, you can develop your own solutions or look up the solutions online. And it's just a thing of like looking at the cube and figuring out what moves you have to do next to get it to a place. Uh... I have tried very hard to explain how I solve Rubik's Cubes many different times over the course of my years and it's very difficult to do without going into a huge amount of detail but the biggest thing is basically you do moves to the cube to affect certain parts of the cube in certain way and by doing this you manipulate it by slowly solving the puzzle by destroying and then restoring different parts of the puzzle in ways that make it so you force different pieces to go where you want them so it might have to get worse before it gets better kind of thing. Yeah. So when you like solve a face or whatever, you actually want to like solve it on a layer. But to solve like the next layer, you're going to have to break down the layer. You're going to have to break down the initial stuff. You have to break down what you've already solved and then re um, and then restore it in a slightly different way in order to move the cubes in other ways and continue forward. And that comes with a lot of practice, I would imagine. Kind of. Um, if you're really determined, you can learn how to solve a Rubik's Cube in an hour, I would say. It, it's really not that difficult to learn how to solve it or at least follow a tutorial and solve it. You could solve it in an hour very easily, but it's a thing of just memorizing them and kind of internalizing them and then just um, executing them. A lot of people think Rubik's Cubes are about like visual intuition and spatial reasoning, but a lot of it's just more memorization of some of just a small little short snippet of moves. So for instance, a very popular one that happens is you turn the front face clockwise, the right face 
clockwise, the top face clockwise, and then you turn the right face counterclockwise, the top face counterclockwise, and the front face counterclockwise. And that six sequence moves lets you orient the top layer and move on. Uh, and it's just like, to actually be able to solve the cube in a reasonable amount of time, there's like maybe six or so of those types of sequences you have to memorize, and then you can solve it. But from there, it can get a bit more complex. Speaking of which, complexity is always a bigger challenge, but I'm sure you have a cube that is your favorite one. Which variant is your favorite cube? My favorite cube is something called the Curvy Copter. Uh, it is a very strange looking cube. It's cubic, of course, um, <laughs> but what it is, is it turns on the edge and it has this beautiful pattern on it where it kind of has like these intersecting semicircles from the edges. Um, and it just makes these very beautiful, like, floral patterns almost. It, I'm explaining it very poorly, but it's just a very beautiful cube. It, How it operates is when you turn the edges, you can actually turn it, like, not all the way 180 and leave it up. Like, I think you can turn it, like, two-thirds of the way over, and the cube still functions. And what happens is it jumbles up and actually takes it from the neat cube shape into, like, a jumbled mess. And it's... How it moves is extremely elegant, in my opinion, and it's just something that I i don't know why I like it so much. I just do. It's just a very beautiful-looking cube. It might be better if somebody actually sees a picture of it. Um, I can send you a picture of it as well, but the Curvy Copter is definitely my favorite in terms of just like the elegance and the simplicity of the mechanism and just how beautiful it can end up looking. Well, I would, yeah, I would definitely love to have a picture of it. Uh, and if you send me links, I'll add them in the description of the podcast so other people can take a look at it and hopefully maybe get inspired to try to solve it one day. And I'm sure you're not going, you're not, it's not too complicated what you're explaining. And I'm sure people who know Rubik's Cubes are way ahead of you on everything you say. Oh, man. <laughs> like people who are, know Rubik's Cubes, they're like, what are you talking about? Why are you explaining it this way? You're explaining yeah. it to an idiot. He doesn't know it. Come on. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, uh, gosh. If I, I'm not saying anything that makes sense, just let me know. Because I, it, it's hard to gauge what people understand after being so ingrained in this for so long. But the good thing about this is that people can keep listening to this over and over again and then even choose yeah. different speeds if they want. So we are good to go. You, you talk your heart out. You say what you need to say. And I'm sure everybody will catch on. Now, for, awesome. for you as a challenge... What was the fastest time you took to solve a Rubik's Cube? Oh, gosh. Um, I believe 7.58 seconds is my record, but that was a very lucky solve. Really? Yeah, the 7.58. On average, I get about like, um, about like 12 and a half, 13 seconds right now is about my average. But I just got... So the way I do it is I break it down into a couple different steps. And I got lucky and I had a couple easier steps in the beginning and then completely skipped a step at the end. And I just did it very efficiently and i got very lucky on that solve but i think the fastest solve i've done where i've done like every single step's been like low nines i think so like nine point something or nine point one so you're faster than the 100 meter dash the world record holder <laughs> uh, i guess so oh gosh though i am like so slow compared to uh like the world the top tier because the top tier has the world record right now for rubik's cubes is 3.47 seconds which Whew, a lot of people do not like that because how that happened, it was a very, very lucky solve. In addition, there wasn't a lot of, it was only being able to be recorded through a surveillance video at the uh, conference location. So there's not good video of it. Um, the previous record as well was 4.22 seconds. 
So there was a very large and very abrupt uh, time drop. And how it came about, a lot of people are like, they're they're accepting it, but a lot of people are just like, wow, man, that's just like, it just came out of nowhere too. But that top tier is just insane at the level they're operating as well. It's ridiculous. I would have to imagine that dexterity and you're nervous at the same time and sometimes maybe your hands get sweaty. You want to make sure you have a good grip on it and don't doesn't slip out of your hands. Has it ever slipped out of your hands while you try to speed Oh, run? absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Like I, I've solved it before and it's just popped out and fallen on the ground and I'm just like, oh, crap. And then I just stop the timer and I just carry it. I just stop the timer, delete the time and just pick it up. In competition, if you do that, you just have to keep going and solve it. But it, it doesn't happen a whole lot. But I have like, I probably solved the cube up, getting close to a hundred thousand times at this point. So weird stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine that you've encountered pretty much every problem that any person who solves Rubik's cubes could encounter. Uh, probably not every problem because there's probably a couple edge cases of just the style I do, but. I've had some weird stuff happen where it's just like I, I turn a cube and it just turns the edges in a weird way. And it's like, OK, that's not how that works. And you have a corner piece where an edge piece should be in an edge piece. And it's just like, OK, that's nope. Does it ever happen that like a piece gets jammed? Um, Absolutely. Um, Not so much in like the three by threes, but on like the four by fours, five by fives, and especially the six by six, if you're going very fast, um, because there's so many tiny pieces in the middle. If you go too fast, you can actually like, just like drive that corner piece way far in and just or carry along uh, one of the middle pieces along. And it just kind of like, there's video of like some uh, world class speed cubers basically doing a six by six and stuff. And then they're getting very close to the end. And they just make a wrong turn and it just explodes and just crumbles into all the pieces. At that point, like the rules, I believe, for the World Cube Association, um, who kind of host all the events, figure out the rules and regulations. They say you have to just assemble the cube and solve it or to the best of your abilities, solve it. And if you get a parry from having swapped it, you can fix it and then you have to complete it. So with the, the parody of it, I'll just explain that very quickly. If you peel stickers off and like put them back on, you might get them in the wrong place because you have each piece is joined by it. You have corner pieces that have the three stickers and then the edge piece with two stickers. Um, so what can happen though is there's actually rules to how those cubes can shift around on the cube itself, which means that there are ways that you can put the cube back together that result in a cube state that is impossible to solve. So the reason it's impossible to solve is not because like somebody's not smart enough to figure it out, but because the cube just, it's a state that's impossible to scramble it into without actually taking out pieces and putting them back in incorrectly, which is a, a whole other host of problems. It's kind of tangential to this, but there's points where like if your cube kind of pops out or if you, uh, if a piece pops out, you have to put it back in, but you might put it in in the reverse direction. So if you, get the cube, you're going to solve it, you'll see like right away, once you get towards the end, that it's flipped. But there's only one edge flipped instead of the two that need to be flipped to solve it. So you actually just have to pop it back out and put it back in, um, which is allowed under the regulations. At least they're flexible. Well, I'd say flexible. At least they're understanding. Mm -hmm. Now for you, do you ever challenge yourself and add an extra layer of difficulty? Let's say you get blindfolded or you try to solve two at the same time, anything like that? 
I think the biggest like difficulty I add is just trying to get faster times. Um, I have done some variants of it. Um, so there are a couple different events um, that are like officially recognized by the WCA that are like the blindfolded, the one hand, and then feet, which is a weird event. Rubik's Cube feet is so weird. What's the record? You got to tell me what's the record for that. I'm so curious. I, I can look that up <laughs> quick, but. That's impressive. That's monkey feet dexterity right there. It is such a weird, the fastest somebody has solved it with their feet is 16.96 seconds. Wow. It is a very weird event. Um, that is one that I have not done at all and I've no plans to do. That's literally how much time it takes me to take off my socks. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's quite impress impressive though, but it's also just, that's a very strange one. I I've done one-handed a little bit. I haven't done it in, like I haven't done it seriously or really delved into it, but I have solved a cube one-handed. And I have solved a cube blindfolded before. It's actually a lot simpler than uh, you might assume. It does add some complexity to it, but if you actually like, if you know how to solve a Rubik's Cube, you can solve a Rubik's Cube blindfolded fairly easily. Um, in fact, you don't actually need to know how to solve a Rubik's Cube to solve it blindfolded per se. There's actually, it's a lot more limited feature, or it's a lot limited algorithm that you use because you have to keep track of everything, but it boils down to effectively memorizing, swapping the corners and getting them in the right place, and then swapping the edges and getting them in the right place. And you have to memorize effectively, I believe, like 20 or so letters and then executing stuff. So it's, it's difficult, but it's not nearly as difficult as people think. What if you're juggling? Oh my gosh, that is, I, I can't really, I am an I'm a decent juggler at best and wildly incompetent at worst. Uh, but uh, there are actual people who ha can both juggle and solve Rubik's Cubes. So they have three Rubik's Cubes and they juggle them and they solve it while they're juggling. It's very impressive. There's this great video um, of a guy juggling three Rubik's Cubes and it's just from his perspective and he's just juggling it and making a move at a time. Um, it takes him like eight minutes or so just because you have to wait all the way around for it to come back. But he does get it done, and it's very impressive. Yeah, I can imagine you have to have good hand-eye coordination, and the cube is spinning in the air, and you have to make sure you catch it in the right position yeah. and change it if not, and then throw it back up. Mm -hmm. Eight minutes is impressive. Uh, do you have a preferred time of day that you enjoy playing with your Rubik's Cube? Um, so I normally do it in the evening. I normally do it while I'm like watching some YouTube or watching some Netflix or just kind of like chilling. I just scramble it, solve it, um, and just keep doing that over and over again. Evening probably works best, but I'm not too picky with the time I do it. I just kind of do it when I don't have anything to do with my hands and just kind of want to occupy it. Even even when you're sleeping? Yeah, just kind of keep them busy again. <laughs> That'd be pretty impressive. Yeah, no, not quite then. Uh, but no, it's, uh, yeah, I just kind of do it to like fidget, basically. It's a little bit more sophisticated fidget spinner for me at some points. Oh, yeah. It's a challenge. And do you ever get cramps in your hands while you're doing this or? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, this is actually something that like I, I didn't notice it like the first couple of um, bouts I got into it. But like since I've gotten to college, I'm a, I'm a programmer by like uh, my vocation for most of it. I've done internships and I'm planning to go into software engineering. So I do a lot of typing. And one common like work injury there is RSI, repetitive stress injury from like typing. 
And for cubing, like I've noticed, like if I do like 200, 300 solves in a day, my hands are like very cramped. Like even right now, I kind of have this dull sense of pain in my right hand um, because I was solving a lot preparing for a competition that I'm going to be going into later this weekend. But like, it's just a thing of like knowing my body and kind of just acknowledging that and not solving anything for like the next couple days. So it, I'm trying to be a lot more conscious of that just so I'm not like permanently destroying my hands, but it's definitely something that people have to take in mind. Um, if they do it to like the level and to the quantity that some of the people do it in the community, but for the most part, like it's not terrible. I've just been doing this along with programming and other repetitive stuff for like 10 years now. So it kind of, it's kind of caught up to me a little bit. I think there's something called cubing wrist. That's uh, fairly popular. Let me check that just to be sure. But in the meantime, I would consider, consider you as an athlete because that's a skill. It's like um, chess is a sport. Mm -hmm. And if just the amount of, it's a speed, it's a speed test. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad to see that, it's actually in the competitive field. I don't think it was when it first started. Uh, I could be actually wrong. Actually, it but... was. Um, oh, really? Okay, good. Okay, so I was completely wrong. The Rubik's Cube is... Uh, I, I've done many presentations on the Rubik's Cube throughout my years uh, because it's super fun. But how it happened was like the first couple of years it was in like the 1980s, 1981, 82, and 83. It was super popular and they actually had world competitions for it as well. Um, they had a world competition in like 82 and 83 and then kind of tailed off. And for the longest time, the record was like 25 seconds because A, not many people knew how to solve it, and B, the cues back then were very bad. And then the WCA was actually um, officially uh, created in 2004. So it's actually a very recent resurgence in the grand scheme of things. Like it's 14 years old in its current state, basically. And even then, like when I first got into it in like 2008 and like 2010, there weren't really a whole lot of brands making Rubik's Cubes. There were a couple like offshoots of stuff like uh, E-Sheen and V-Cube, um, but there wasn't like near as much uh, variety and near as much innovation in Rubik's Cubes as there is today because Rubik's was so ubiquitous at the time. There was like a DIY Speed Cube A and Speed Cube B, I think, when I first started out. And now there's like, if you want to go find one, there's like 20 different 3x3s that you could get to that are all like very fine. Like they're all great cubes, especially compared to a Rubik's brand cube, which is not the best. I would definitely say Rubik's cube or the, the uh, yeah, spinning cube is definitely, if not the most iconic toy or puzzle to exist. Like when you think of mm -hmm. toys or puzzles, you think of Rubik's cube, right? The other popular things would be like Barbies and but like Rubik's Cube is like that, that one cool thing that can work for any generation, mm -hmm. any age, no, no matter where you're from around the world, there's no language needed to play with a Rubik's Cube. Mm -hmm. You get like, you, it's a puzzle. Everybody loves it. And the colors, I think that's what mm -hmm. dragged everybody in, right? Uh, maybe. I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> but like the original creator of the Rubik's Cube was uh, Erno Rubik. And he was a architecture professor, I believe. Um, and he created the Rubik's Cube to, as a demonstration of an architecture principle, I believe. Um, and then he patented at, as the Magic Cube, I believe, in Hungary, where it first started out. And then it just, it blew up in the worldwide, basically, in the 80s. And it just has a very, it's gotten itself into a very niche, I think, at this point, where it is just like, 
it's this kind of nerdy thing. It's kind of just like this cool little thing that uh, smart people use. And that's not entirely true. I mean, I consider myself relatively smart and I use it, but I'm not able to solve the Rubik's Cube as quickly as I do because I'm because of my intelligence. It's because of the dexterity and other stuff and the practice that I put into it. There's some like element of intelligence, but only so much as just muscle memory and memorizing sequences of moves, which is a very small part of how fast you can get. And this is part of being an athlete, which is great. Mm -hmm. Well, so it's actually really cool because like right now I, I, there's a method called CFOP, um, which just kind of like you get the, it just describes how you solve the cube, but there's like, I think 70 or 80 algorithms that you have to memorize, which it just takes a while to do it. Um, if you want, but I have all of CFOP fully memorized at this point, which is the same like basic set that people who get down to like six seconds get down, like six seconds, five seconds. People can get super fast using this feature set or using the algorithms that I'm using. And that's because there is some form of like memorization, but you can get super fast using just basic tool sets or using the basic algorithms because it's more about look ahead and knowing what you're doing and how it's affecting the cube, which comes from more practice than anything else. So I'm guessing for you, when you solve your cube, you look at the cube already mixed up and you already solved it in your head beforehand, right? Kind of. Um, I solve it in sections. So um, when I look at the cube, you get in competition, you get 15 seconds to inspect the cube and then you can solve it from there. And that's when the timing starts um, after the inspection period. So um, when people look at the cube, they normally solve like the first uh, step of the cube, which is to get a cross on the bottom. And then when they're solving the cross, people, they look for uh, the cubes that they need for the next step. And then they solve that. And then while they're solving the next step, they look at the next step. So it's more of a thing where you just are able to do it in sequence very quickly because you don't need to know how to solve step one and step two at the same time. You can while you're solving step one, you can figure out how to solve step two. And then while you're solving step two, you can figure out how to solve step three. And you can just keep doing that. And it effectively looks like you just know how to solve it all at once, but it's because you're continually taking in feedback from everybody else. And this applied for the guy who solved it in like three seconds. I just can't, can't fathom how fast his mind must have been it, thinking. It, it is crazy to see that. The there's a metric turns per second of how many times you're turning the Rubik's cube. And like some of those people can get up to like 18 turns per second or something. And it's just a blur and it's remarkable. You're surprised the cube doesn't just like heat up and catch on fire. <laughs> well, they actually have like, you have like silicone based lubricant to make sure the cube spins very quickly and freely without resistance so that people can turn it very quickly. But in terms of that, like you also have, um, uh, what is it? Uh, gosh, I lost my train of thought for a second. What was I saying? Uh, Rubik's Cube spinning, uh, catching fire. Yes, um, catching fire, of course. silicone base. Yeah, they use silicone. Um, well, we can get we can get back yeah, to that if... Uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but uh, it's okay. You're thinking about Rubik's Cubes. It's, it's all good. <laughs> uh, what would you say is the best part about solving Rubik's Cubes on a personal level? Uh, personally, it's really just it keeps part of my mind occupied it, to, to solve a Rubik's cube after you've like solved it a lot and kind of done it. It's kind of like, 
it, it's hard to explain, but it doesn't really take a lot of critical thinking to do it, especially if you're doing it in a very casual manner. It's just kind of like looking and doing it. And it's kind of like knitting or something I would associate with it, where it's just like something to keep my hands and my mind kind of a little occupied, but not too much. So I'm still able to like enjoy a program I'm watching or able to like think about my day or whatever. And I'm still just able to solve a cube. And the reason I really enjoy it, though, is because I can like I can watch YouTube or watch um, or listen to a podcast or watch Netflix and I can do a cube and I feel like I'm more productive, I guess, <laughs> because I, I'm doing something. I, I'm solving this cube and I'm pro- improving. I'm practicing and it just lets me enjoy multiple things, I guess. So for those of you out there who do love solving Rubik's Cubes and listening to this podcast, it is very meta. You are solving yeah. a cube while listening <laughs> to somebody talking about solving a cube. Oh, gosh, I didn't even think about that. That's like people who listen to knitting podcasts while knitting. Oh, gosh, it's great. I love it, though. Super meta. But yeah, it's great. Uh, what would you say was your biggest challenge when you first started solving Rubik's Cubes? Of course, Ooh. solving the cube itself. But did you have any other challenges? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I don't remember a whole lot of challenges when I was first starting out. I think the biggest thing was because I was like so on and off with it, just keeping the algorithms I had memorized was definitely a challenging part. So I actually, when I was first starting out, I switched methods a lot, actually. So the first method I used was something called the keyhole method, which most people who are in the speed cubing community don't really know because it's a very weird method that's just been tucked away to the, like, to the annals of history. But I had a book from the 80s, so I just kind of learned it that way to start. And then I learned from Dan Brown. Um, he had a tutorial that got like super big on YouTube about the Rubik's Cube. I learned that way. And then I kind of transitioned again into the actual beginner's method and then into a modified version of uh, what I use now with bit reduced algorithms and then kind of moving on. But I think the biggest challenge has mainly been just hard coding those algorithms into my hands without having to memorize it or without having to consciously think about it. So instead of thinking about like, turn the right face, turn the top face, turn the right face, turn the top face, actually getting it into moving my hands without having to think about it. And it's kind of like using a keyboard. Yeah, like using a keyboard. So touch typing. Uh, so before of like hunt and peck versus touch typing. And that challenge of getting past that um, allowed me to get a lot more enjoyment out of the cubes because I could do it a lot easier because I didn't have to consciously think about it. Exactly. So like using a keyboard at first, you're looking at the keys. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, A, E, R. But when you have so much practice later on, you're just typing and then you're like, wow, how do, how do my fingers already know where to go? Yeah. If you just it, stop to think about it. Oh, that's a great analogy though, because it works really well. It's just a layer of abstraction. I don't have to think about what layers I'm turning. I'm just thinking about how to manipulate the cube. Yeah. And then the moment you start thinking about it, like, okay, wait, how am I doing this? It's the same as if like you're walking, you're like, how am I walking straight? And then you start walking weirdly. Yeah, actually, I think that does um, for that as well, the challenges and stuff. There was one other bigger challenge I kind of faced was understanding what the cube actually was doing uh, as like how moving one layer kind of manipulates the cubes around it. Because as, as soon as you stop thinking about it as looking at like, the 27 stickers, nine on each side, and look at it as the eight corner pieces and 12 edge pieces being manipulated by turning the different faces. 
And having that shift in perspective was definitely hard to get. But the amount of benefit I got from like actually being able to understand the cube and translating that to other different puzzles that I uh, mess with has definitely been like, it was definitely hard to get over that hump because it is just, it's hard to break a preconceived notion of just like, oh, I'm looking at the stickers. No, the stickers are just an abstraction. We have, you just think about the pieces themselves. And that was definitely another challenge that I faced. And this was at the beginning. Do you have challenges currently that are different or are they still relatively the same? Um, I'd say some of the same. Um, a challenge I did recently was learning um, the rest of uh, the all the algorithms inside uh, CFOP. Um, so before I had like, except the O, um, which was orienting the top layer, I broke it down into, I had two look OLL instead of one look OLL, which meant that I had to do it in two steps instead of one step, but I only had to have like, eight algorithms memorized. So I had to learn, instead of those eight algorithms, I had to learn 57. So that was a very large uh, undertaking that I did, but I did finally get it. And that's like nine years it took me to finally be, uh, learn the entire set of that. And in the meantime, it's like, oh, hey, there's all these other variants that you can memorize. And I'm just like, nope, I think I'm good now. Yeah, you know, you know, you've learned, you've learned enough. You've, you got so many things memorized and you're in computers as well. So kind of like matches together. Yeah. Uh, another challenge I would say is like the RSI and the Q, uh, cubing wrist type thing, um, because I really do enjoy it and I do it a lot without thinking. And I am very conscious about trying to limit the amount of stress I'm putting on my hands so that I can keep doing this hobby for as long as I want to instead of having to be cut short because uh, my hands just can't handle it anymore. So that's definitely been the biggest challenge, I'd say, outside of just like the cube itself, but kind of some issues around it. What if, what if we're like later on in the future, they have virtual reality where you can actually just solve a Rubik's cube, it's like gloves on, Ooh. and that'd be a great solution for people who either have arthritis now, that's a, an idea for people who might be interested in making a virtual Rubik's Cube. Yeah, actually, um, one of, I'm, I might be misremembering, but one of the people who ha was like leading the Rubik's Cube uh, records for a while had to step back because he found out that he had arthritis or like a early onset arthritis, arthritis or something. Um, and doing the cube would accelerate it or something of the sort. But he had to actually step back because of problems in his hands, which is very frustrating and he was i believe he actually held the red world record at one point as well that is not a fun thing to know no something you put your heart and your passion into and just to be crushed down because your body can't take it anymore it's it could be de devastating yeah i can imagine that but that's what i'm saying hopefully maybe in the future virtual reality it won't necessarily be the same feeling but mm -hmm. it's somewhat the same thing in the sense that it's rubik's cube you're solving it you may not have the exact same feeling, but mm -hmm. it's an alternative to nothing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I, I'd say so. Like, maybe not exactly that, but there are alternatives in just like, oh, you don't have the actual uh, physical puzzle, but you have like maybe the, do you know the 15 puzzles that you have? It's the like the grid of the numbers one through 15 and you have to just move it around. Yes. Stuff like that where it's kind of similar enough to a Rubik's Cube and kind of in the same vein of things, but less stressful for the hands. And of course, if you love solving things, you'll always find 
And there's always new puzzles. And I'm, I'm loving this age where people are trying to come up with harder puzzles to solve and new challenges, which is a great time to be alive. Mm -hmm. Now, has Rubik's Cubes or solving Rubik's Cubes ever helped you relax when you're stressed? Oh, absolutely. Like it's it's one of those things where I just like I can solve a Rubik's Cube for like a couple hours or like 30 minutes. And it's actually like kind of detrimental, honestly, because if I am very stressed, I'm like, oh, hey, it's the cube. I'm just going to like occupy a bit of my brain right now and just mess with this, solve it a couple times, do some different algorithms on it. And then all of a sudden it's like 30 minutes later and I haven't done anything on my homework. And I'm just like, oh, no, that's not good. <laughs> Oh, well, better go back to the not, cube. Yeah, not going to think about that. <laughs> Let me just keep solving this. Yeah, I've gone too far now. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> Don't procrastinate, kids. Do your homework. Has uh, solving Rubik's Cubes ever stressed you out? Yeah, I definitely have been stressed out because of Rubik's Cubes before. Like, I mean, not necessarily in solving them. I mean, sometimes it is just one of those things where you like you get really close and then you don't or you just have like a lot of different like close calls where you just kind of like start fumbling the cube and you kind of get into a negative feedback cycle where you just like keep fudging up a step or you keep like missing something and you keep messing up in a certain way. It kind of like perpetuates itself because you're a bit more angry at it. So you're kind of solving the cube a bit more aggressively than you would. And you kind of just like get into a bad cycle at, over the years. I kind of gotten used to that. I'm just like, ah, oh, whatever. Um, and I don't care as much. I just kind of keep go through it. Cause I know that I have like natural ups and downs on how good I am at, or how fast I'm going, but like, it's definitely stressed me out in just the sense of like, Oh, I want to be lower than this time, but I'm not. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to go fast. Ugh, I didn't do it. And definitely when it's like a super big cube and it's like, uh, it just pops and breaks everywhere. And it's just like, ah, I, I have to clean this up now. I have to fix it. And that's definitely gotten to me before, but it's, it's not nearly as common as like just the feeling of relaxing. It happens, but it doesn't happen a whole lot. When you do get stressed, do you just get up and walk away from the cube or do you, what, what do you do to try to de-stress? Well, like if I'm working on one puzzle, like if I have that big puzzle that just kind of broke and then while I'm fixing it, it breaks again or while I'm not breaks, but it just disassembles again. I try again. But if that's the case, I just kind of set it off to the side, do something else for a little bit and then come back to it eventually while I, once I've cleared my head a little bit. So you got that go-getter attitude, which is good. Yeah. Now, what, what are some misconceptions about people who solve Rubik's Cubes? So from people from the outside of the community looking at people who solve it? Um, that we're nerds? Like, we're not all nerds. I mean, I am, but we're not all nerds. I, I think the biggest misconception, though, is that you have to be smart to solve a Rubik's Cube. Um, I, I talked about this earlier, but it's not a question of intelligence. It's not a question of like a general test for intelligence. A Rubik's Cube is a very, very specific challenge. And 99% of people who have solved a Rubik's Cube did not come up with the solution themselves. 99% of people who solved a Rubik's Cube got the solution from somebody else and just memorized it because that's just how you do it, really. There's not really a lot of point in coming up with your own intuitive solution because it's not going to be as good as what's currently out there because there's been 30 years of research in this field to get like the best algorithms and the best stuff for everything else. And I think really the biggest misconception is that like, it's this nerdy thing. It's this thing that are only for smarter people. Anybody can solve a Rubik's cube. And I really encourage like, if you think it's a cool thing to do, just 
try it out. Look up a tutorial online about how to solve a Rubik's Cube. There are plenty of them. And you can find one that's uh, for a relatively simple beginner. You could look up the beginner's method um, and really just kind of go from there because it really doesn't take a lot to jump into solving Rubik's Cubes. It's a lot simpler than people think. So now, so now I'm tempted to just do it. I don't, I don't have a Rubik's Cube in my house, but I have like a Rubik's Cube speaker thing that looks like a Rubik's Cube and it turns <laughs> into it's an actual speaker. It, it turns one way and that's it. That's about <laughs> as much as I have as Rubik's Cubes yeah. in my house. But I am tempted. I was always intrigued by it when I was young and I want to try it again. So how did, uh, how did solving Rubik's Cubes have an impact on your perspective on life? Ooh. Oh, gosh, that is a very good question, and I am uh, struggling how about, with that. How about, how about that hey, is, I can help you out. How, what if uh, yeah. it taught you how to think one step forward, as in not get focused on one point mm-hmm. and then being stuck there? It also taught you to be more patient, or it taught you to uh, mm-hmm. analyze the situation before approaching it. Like, so you look at the cube, you analyze it, and then you apply that same logic in real life. Like, say, when you come, because you're into computers, and you would, I, I guess... You were into the Rubik's Cube before you started using computers. So you brought some of those skills and thinking process into your problem solving aspect. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah, I definitely think that'd be the case because like part of it is just like with some of the bigger cubes, it really is patience and stuff because some of the bigger cubes take like the 10 by 10 or something takes like 45 minutes to solve. And it's really just one thing of just like, I'm just going to sit down and go in for the long haul. And that's been something that's just been nice to kind of do, keep my mind occupied. But like a lot of it, what you said, it's just kind of understanding where I'm at right now and being able to look ahead because being able to understand what you're doing right now and how that's going to affect the cube, that can be a very nice parallel for that as well. But I mean, those general lessons, I think they apply, but I think the biggest thing I've learned is just that if you're very passionate about something like Rubik's Cubes, there are, regardless of how popular you think it is, there is going to be a huge community online to talk to you about it. Because like the Cuber subreddit on Reddit has like 50,000 people, I think, on it. Um, and it's just, I'm going to look that up. Yeah, by all means. And I'm guessing everybody who's on Reddit who are talking at that time are also so- solving a Rubik's Cube at the same time. <laughs> oh, no. they're Well, I mean, maybe like... Keep, keeping uh, their hands busy, right? Maybe in lockstep or something where they solve the Rubik's Cube and then common and then do that. But the thing is, like, there is a huge community that is insanely passionate about it. And even though, like, in my hometown, there was, like, one person who solved Rubik's Cube and I didn't really talk to that guy a whole lot, I could talk to somebody and ask questions and have this huge host of knowledge just dropped on me. And it was just really cool to see, especially in uh, younger years before, where it's just being able to see people who are really passionate about something come together and being able to hang out on a virtual space that couldn't have happened beforehand. And that might be the why, like, now in 2004 and later, Rubik's Cubes finally had kind of a resurgence because it went from being a niche thing where you didn't really know anybody else who did it to something where you could have connections from somebody who's not in your hometown, but somebody who is countries away. So basically what's happening right now with this podcast, you're passionate about the Rubik's Cube. You came on, you're dropping some knowledge on me and I'm learning so much. Yeah, you know, It's the meta thing. The, the guy from your past did it to you oh and now God. you're doing it to me. 
Oh no, <laughs> I have become my past. <laughs> he was your future, or he was your past. Maybe that was your future self. Did I give Rubik's Cubes to me? <laughs> oh no. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be a pretty cool story. Um, do you have any word of advice? Sorry, actually, first of all, do you want to present this hobby to the world or do you want to keep it more for yourself? Um, there's different aspects of the hobby. Um, I would say on average, like for most of the stuff I do like to present it to the world. I think it's super cool and super fun, but some of the other stuff, like there are like mods and some other stuff you can do to cubes. So you can actually take one cube and transform it into another type of cube. And I've attempted that a couple times and they've turned out terribly. And that's not something that I'm like super keen to present. And there are people who present modifications of it a lot better than me and who do it in a very cool way. But I am not one of those. I am definitely somebody who will present my hobby out. I actually like way, way before, I think in like 2008 or so, I had a YouTube channel where I was like doing uh, speed stacking and Rubik's Cubes. I think I actually never even did a Rubik's Cube video until like years past, but I named it with the intention of sharing out both speed stacking and Rubik's Cubes. I, I definitely like sharing stuff out, but that might also be just my personality of that sense of liking to get stuff that I like out there. And that's why you're on this podcast. You're sharing your hobby, exactly. your passion, which is why I decided to do this. I love it. Um, do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in Rubik's Cubes or twisty puzzles or problem solving puzzles? I would say just get a Rubik's Cube from Walmart or wherever, um, play around with it for a bit, maybe see if you can try and find it. But don't feel like you're cheating because you're looking up the solution because that's what I did. That's what literally almost everybody else did because that's just kind of how you do it and the internet has a lot of really good resources about cubing i would say like don't stick with the rubik's cube once you're lower than like 30 seconds and be careful about like uh cubing too much and getting cubing risk because that's not fun but overall i think just if it sounds interesting to you i would say just go out, purchase a Rubik's Cube and look up how to solve it because it's a lot easier than people think. And it's, uh, would you say it's better than a fidget spinner? I know. It's just <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no contest right there. <laughs> there you go. And do you have any social media links or websites that you'd like to share? It could be your personal, let's say Instagram, Twitter, fa uh, well, Facebook, not much, but, uh, or websites that you go to resources, uh, subreddits or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so for like websites and resources, I think like cubers.reddit.com or um, reddit.com slash r slash cubers is a great cubing resource. It's uh, It has a ton of people. They are super open to beginners and everybody else asking questions um, in their daily discussion thread. I don't know of any off the top of my head about the other resources, but if you're interested in me, uh, you can obviously find me at uh, on Twitter at nonstop coal. And I don't believe anything. I, I need to get a personal website, kind of like getting everything else. Cause I don't feel like plugging five different links, but that Twitter will be good enough to kind of centralize location of me. Perfect. So I will put all that in the description. People can follow you. And if you want to send in your tips and tricks, would they, would they be welcomed? Or if you have, if they have any questions, would they be okay to contact yeah, you? Yeah. Feel free to DM me or at me on Twitter. Perfect. Now, as if you already listened to some of my past episodes, I tend to throw the question right back to you where I asked you, do you have any questions for me about Rubik's Cubes? Ooh, okay. 
Mm, I'm interested now. I should have <laughs> came prepared, but I didn't. Don't worry, I'm never prepared. I had some other stuff. <laughs> um, let's see. Did you know you could actually just take apart a Rubik's cube into the corner pieces and edge pieces and actually just like disassemble it? I did not know that as a kid. Okay. I, I I thought of it, but I didn't like actually try because I thought it would just like break and I would break the actual um, okay. structure, the inner in, inner structure, like the heart. I guess it would be called. And I, and it was in mine, so I'm like, I don't want to mess with it. But I was stupid enough to take off the stickers thinking that they won't notice the stickers <laughs> change. I tried so hard. And then when I put it all back together, the stickers, not putting it back, just sticking it back on, I just like hit it and pretended mm. that person lost it. No. I was a weird, oh, no. I was a weird kid. I felt guilty that I just took it apart. But I, of course I showed it off to people like, hey, I solved the Rubik's Cube. And they're like, why are the stickers falling off? I'm like heat it was so hot i was in a sauna solving it <laughs> oh yeah i love it humidity how why is the stickers falling off heat heat yeah sure i was in a sauna yeah, whatever you're like six years old you're just in a sauna uh. solving a rubik's cube yep that's what happened <laughs> nice i see no reason to uh suspend my disbelief moving on uh. but yeah that's that's my experience but i will definitely I think I might have one back in my parents' place. I do want to give it a try again. After this conversation, I've learned a lot more and it's not as terrifying as it used to be. Because no. like movies portrayed as, oh, only the smart people can solve it. What was it? The Pursuit of Happiness yeah. with Will Smith. That movie, he was like a homeless, he was like a homeless guy, but uh, he was able to solve a Rubik's Cube and he was seen as a genius. And so and when I saw that movie a few years back and like oh well this is meant meant for like very smart people who can like think 15 steps ahead and stuff like that and i can barely like i put on the shoe and i'm like all right what's the next thing i have to do oh yeah put on the next shoe that's like my thought process sometimes yeah i mean to be fair that's basically the thought process most keepers have it's a bit more like look ahead of like oh i'm i'm putting on my shoe where's my other shoe (laughs) oh there it is okay where's my pants I mean, you probably put on your pants before if you were looking ahead, but no, no, no. I like to live on the dangerous side of life. I put I put shoes then pants on. Yeah, I think actually for Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith actually learned how to solve a Rubik's cube. Really? Um, for that. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. He, so he didn't like uh, fake it or anything. He just solved it because it's as I said, it's like it's pretty easy to learn how to solve it. <laughs> So now, since I've done this interview, we talked for roughly an hour now. I feel like I owe it to you to try to learn how to solve it, and I'll I'll give I'll give it <laughs> oh, a shot. Oh, you don't have to do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely I mean, give it a I shot. I won't complain, <laughs> but I'll definitely give it a shot. So sounds great. Yeah. So there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Cole, for coming on the show and talking about Rubik's cubes. You got me pumped up for it. Even though the only one I have in my house is a speaker that doesn't spin. So I'm just going to hold that in my hand tonight. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. I I enjoyed it so much. And you are by far so far the longest conversation. And there was not a dull moment. I'm not saying any other podcast episode was dull. They were all very special. (laughs) I'm just saying this one is the longest so far. And I greatly appreciate it. So if you do want to learn more about Cole, you can go follow him on Twitter. Uh, You have Rubik's Cube's topics there, I would imagine. Um, not a whole lot, but I have been thinking about doing a bit more. Um, I have a subscription to something called Puzzle Crate where they ship me a monthly puzzle and I might actually be just like talking about that every single month and posting it on Twitter because I think that'd be kind of a fun thing to do. So there you have it. If you want to learn more about Cole, Twitter and him solving new puzzles, definitely Twitter. That'd be pretty cool. I 
And I'll put down the link yeah. for that uh, subscription box too, which if some of you who are interested mm -hmm. in puzzles, that might be a good thing for you. So yeah, if you want to be on my show, you could send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care. Have a good day.